Like Call It What You Want, which we know is your favorite podcast about the beautiful game, Viore is committed to delivering a great experience for everyone, which is highlighted by their new perspective on performance apparel. Everything is designed to work out in, but doesn't look or feel like it. In fact, I'm rocking their Stratotech polo right now, along with their Sunday performance jogger pants, so I can be business on top when I'm on camera, but super comfortable on the bottom. And it's just the best. Fiori gear is incredibly versatile, and it can be used for just about any activity. Running, training, swimming, lounging around, hosting podcasts, doing errands, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. And for our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash call it. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash call it. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash call it and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What is up, everybody? Welcome to In Soccer We Trust. It is me, Heath, Hollywood Heath Pierce, and uh, Charlie Chuckwagon Davies. And we've got ourselves a pretty fun show because we've now had a few days to reflect a little bit, gain a little bit more perspective. And we're going to talk about player rankings, grades, the overall perspective of this national team. Were we too harsh? Were we too soft? Were we a little bit too emotional at times? We're going to get into all of that. But first, Charlie, how are you feeling on this, what is it, Monday? Monday uh, Monday <laughs> yeah, morning. Seriously. That's crazy, man. I'm so lost in this tournament for a few weeks now that I don't even know what day it is. But I'm back in, I'm back in Dubai now. I had a chance to go to the France against Poland game. And um, wow. uh, how you doing? I, I'm going to give you a few thoughts on that, uh, but first, mm-hmm. want to see see how you're doing. I'm 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 doing well. I'm I'm excited to watch the the rest of this tournament play out. I've had some time to decompress. I know we're going to get into that to to really think about what the U.S. men's national team's uh, mission truly was, and and how did they how did they look to us? Did did they impress? Did they move forward? Do we think? Their performances are going to help this group as they move into the next cycle. Uh, who who do you, who do we think sticks around? Who who's still growing uh, ultimately to to kind of achieve um, even higher success and a higher level at the club at the club um, front? So I'm I'm feeling good. I'm feel I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful. Uh, there's a lot of of positives that have come away from from uh, this World Cup tournament from the U.S. Well. Uh, that's well said, and we're going to get into all that. But just to give a little bit of a recap of my trip, I, I flew. They're, they're doing like 60 flights a day from Dubai to, to Doha. I flew super easy, flying to the old airport, spent the day walking around uh, Doha. Pretty quiet, to be honest. There's like an old souk area, which is like kind of like your outdoor bazaar that most of the fans that were still around kind of gather around 3, 4 o'clock. Similar to, to other World Cups, there was kind of just this like point that everybody would meet. But it was relatively quiet. I went to the game and obviously got to witness Mbappe in his purest form of just scoring absolutely outrageous goals. And Giroud, uh, that that overhead kick, that was obviously called back because of the foul. But And and his goal, too. Just an overall, like, unbelievable individual moments. But I got to say, man, the atmosphere inside the stadium was like an ICC tournament 
in the U.S. That's what it felt like. There was no, at no point did I feel the magnitude of one of these teams is going home. It just felt like almost like a friendly. And again, that's not to blame. That's not to blame the, uh, this isn't an attack on Qatar because we've had plenty of our say on what that is. It's just the type of fan that was in the stadium, right? It was mostly uh, neutral fans there to watch the game, be entertained. And it wasn't so much like I remember from Russia when I went to Argentina, Nigeria, or I went to Mexico, Germany, where you just felt like, man, these are two fan bases that are so loud. They're competing in the stands in the same way they're competing on the field. So that part was a disappointment. But getting a chance to see uh, Mbappe score, getting a chance to see Lewandowski score on his second chance on a penalty was a pretty – Pretty great experience, and then overall, I didn't really get—I didn't really feel a whole World Cup vibe. You're obviously in the knockout rounds. I walked the Corniche, which is the waterfront um, of the city, and it was—it was just kind of festival-like. It wasn't really World Cup-like, but I mean, maybe that would be the same in any country in this region. But yeah, overall, a little underwhelming, but super easy travel, super easy to get into the stadium, super easy experience, very family-friendly. There was no didn't real say, tension or any of that. Didn't you, say stuff. The, didn't you say the Fox setup was by far the best and biggest? Or would you I, if, not if necessarily I, if, best, but definitely the biggest? I mean, I only walk the Corniche, right? Which is everybody has that that sort of bay view of all the big the, the, the high rises or the skyline, so to speak, in 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 in, in Qatar. So everybody kind of has their setup facing that on the Corniche, which is again this long waterfront kind of walk where they have different areas along the way. They have a bus kind of picking up, dropping off all the way down, a fan festival uh, in that area, and. Um, but I was Jimmy. Jimmy had been texting me the day before uh, yesterday, saying, "Hey, come on by here. Come by the Fox area. We're going to be there in a little bit." But when I when I walked, uh, I just kept walking and walking and walking and never got there. Today, I, I walked the entire thing and all the way into the the sort of West Bay area where the the high right the the skyscrapers are, and saw theirs. And it's like this island out, and it's like the, almost like this gigantic house out out on the edge of the water. Everybody else had sort of these your designated booth similar to, to Russia when you're overlooking the, the Kremlin or some of the other areas that, that you're overlooking with the, with the broadcast booths. And it was just kind of two studios, and I saw Fox tapered, uh, kind of taped and plastered onto all over it. So I'm assuming that's what it was. It looked like some of the things that I've seen. Obviously, I've been in Dubai, so I've mostly only had access to, to be in sport on the occasion. I, I have some access to, to um, Fox. And so I, from what I could tell, that's the one. And it was huge and it was massive. And it was the biggest one that I had seen other than most of them were like, you're in like these almost like stages built into the sky uh, that, that are built out of nothing. This was actually a pre-manufactured building that was already there that they seemed to take over for the broadcast. And so pretty cool to see. I didn't get a chance to see any of them, obviously, because of the timing of things. But let's um, let's shift the, the, the conversation because I'm talking about having just been to a game and, and the experience was – because it's fresh on our minds, let's talk about this Japan-Croatia. Obviously, Japan going out in penalties. When you look at Japan in that first half and the way that they were all over, all over Croatia, right? Mm-hmm. And a Croatian team that's taken some time to get going in this tournament and, and who we saw went down against, against uh, Canada and have had their own struggles, but obviously a very well-oiled team and, and a ton of experience. Does it change the way that you think about our U.S. team and how they struggled against uh, Japan? Because obviously the second half looked different. Croatia settled in, and then you go go to the end, and uh, Croatia is able to, to grind that out in penalties, which, by the way, when you're playing, like, these games are like two and a half hours long now with stoppage time. And then you go to penalties, like, I, I mean, no, no, no excuses for anybody. But, I mean, what was your overall take on that game and how that relates to the U.S. men's national team? Well, just Japan are so tactically sound. They're they have discipline 
mm-hmm. beyond anything I've ever seen in terms of staying to your position, staying true to your to your one v one duel. Uh, for me, I'll be the first to raise my hand and say I never thought Japan had this much quality uh, in scheduling that friendly ahead of the World Cup. So. Kudos, uh, credit to Japan and to the coach and to the players. And how I mean, do you remember how out. much, by the way, do you remember how much we were complaining about, oh, we're playing against Japan and Saudi Arabia. Yes. I want to play against Brazil or I want to play mm-hmm. against oh, another I, I, World Cup European I still, team. I still, uh, don't get me wrong, I still would have liked to have played Brazil or France or Argentina, a team that is considered to be the favorite to win. But that's that was a, a very healthy exercise, and I think an important one because we learned a lot about how to play out of the back. And if we didn't have that game, Aaron Long is most likely starting with Tim Ream. I mean, yeah. with with Walker Zimmerman, and Tim Ream may not be coming in. But because we saw some real deficiencies with how we were organized, how we play out of the back, that forced Greg Berhalter to bring in more experience, to bring in someone who's playing every week, someone in form. That was Tim Ream, and Tim Ream was. The, the best center back we had through, throughout the World Cup, which is uh, right. incredible to, to see. Well, let me let me ask you this. I'm, while while I'm um, looking up this tweet that I, that we had gotten, somebody was basically saying that this was bad management from Greg Berhalter because um, because Reem wasn't part of this. Oh, can we reconcile how Reem and Sargent became key starters after being out left out for 12 months? Seems to be a blatant mismanagement of the team and severe error in player evaluation. And to cap it off, putting Geo in a new spot when zero, uh, zero 0-2 down. Now, the Geo thing, by the way, I think we are giving Geo too much credit right now. Mm-hmm. Geo got on the field and ha- struggled the same way that everybody else did in that game, you know, in terms of having that X factor, was trying to do a lot. I mean, he was trying to be busy. And so I'll leave that one to the side. But in terms of mismanagement, I just wanted to address this real quick. You just made a very good point that the U.S. losing to Japan in the way that they did led to Reem starting. Mm -hmm. And if anything, that is management. That is the recognition of saying, I want us to be able to play in a few different ways and look a few different ways. And when I tried that with the team that I had, we failed, right? Mm -hmm. And you look at the last couple of years and people are like, yeah, but we've we've been giving starts and caps and everybody to everybody. But like, did you really need Tim Ream? Clearly, you didn't need Tim Ream for the last two years, right? You used those two years to evaluate, see where players were at, give chances to young players. We decided to go with a young group since the beginning of Greg's tenure. Um, so do you look at that as, as a mismanagement? I mean, of course, there are mismanagements along the way from any manager. But do you look at that as a mismanagement? Or do you look at that as a plus that he's, one, was taking chances on these guys. A lot of people were convinced weren't the right guys. And then was able to recognize before the World Cup, we're not there yet. We don't have the guys that I thought we'd have. They're not in the form that we want. We can't play the way that I want us to be able to play at times. And therefore, I'm going to call on Tim Ream, and he is going to step in, and he's going to lead this team. Yes. I mean, you could look at it from a point of being in my shoes. I got my first opportunity with the national team in 2007. I got another one in 2008. I scored in a World Cup qualifier against Trinidad, and that was my first international goal. But it was a game that had no real significance as a World Cup qualifier. But I wasn't ready at those moments. And I had a January camp, and I didn't take it and didn't do well. It wasn't until I finally got another opportunity in a game that most people counted us out against Egypt and the Confederations Cup that it all clicked for me. And so 
That's not on the manager. That's on the player. I had opportunities. Tim Ream had opportunities and Josh Sargent had opportunities and they didn't take it. So how can you all of a sudden say it's the manager's fault for not including them if they didn't perform well, right? So that's what I look at. And Josh Sargent, by the way, hasn't really been a huge, in the last couple of years, and yes, he, he had some injuries, hasn't been a huge standout player for the national team. You know, mm-hmm. It's not like he's been this like undeniable thing. We, we saw when he had his best year in, in, in Werder Bremen with nine goals, and then you go through all the last year in, in, in the Premier League, and, and, and he struggled, right? And so there are some things that go with that. But to me, I'm not giving Greg credit. I'm, 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 I'm actually criticizing Greg for a lot of things, which we'll get to. Yeah. But at the same time, that recognition of I need to get my players from here to here. You know, Tim Ream is already here. Now, do I think that Greg had, had always had a plan to bring Tim Ream? Absolutely not. I don't think he ever had that plan to bring Tim Ream. But I think Tim Ream's performances and his consistency and his experience started to become glaring. Right Thanks. on the wall, in his eyes, every day of the week, 24 hours a day, going like, you are going to make a fatal error if you don't bring this guy in because the yes. guys that you have right now, who you trusted, are not rewarding you with that trust over the last bit of time. And I think that's a, I think that there's a very, very clear distinction in that because we went with that. And yes, people started saying, well, what about John Anthony Brooks as well and all these other things. But like, uh, the people that were, 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 were hardest on, they loved... Walker Zimmerman, although he had a dip in form throughout this year, but he was sort of the guy, stepped in for a bit. And then Aaron Long and most of the others, other than, than Chris Richards when he was healthy, were hated by the fans. You know, not hated, but just like thought of as like not, not, not up to, to snuff for, for a national team starter. And, and Aaron Long didn't play. And so I think those are moments that we have to look at and say, there was a recognition of, I was hoping to get somebody here or whatever your reasons are, wasn't working, I'm going to make the change. And mm-hmm. I'm actually happy that we didn't use two and a half years of Tim Ream in that position because we've always said, you know exactly what you're going to get from Tim Ream. And he showed it in the World Cup as our best defender. And we got to see what Miles Robinson developed into. Uh, unfortunately, his uh, Achilles injury took him out of the picture. And then Chris Richards. And you, you, you got a chance to see a lot, a lot of players. And let's be honest, we're playing in CONCACAF. You can get away with, with not playing players at a certain level and still get results. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough no it's matter who tough, you put on that but field. But you can get, a, you can you get, get away. away. You go to the World Cup, it's a big difference. You put that, that third that ball to the, the back post against Netherlands, doesn't get scored on. Doesn't No one puts that. Mm. No one hits that ball in CONCACAF and punishes you for, for not being organized. And so I, I think that's where we should move this conversation into what they didn't get right. When yeah. you look at Greg Berhalter and – the tactics in the first half and getting teams to play and the selection, it got you uh, Wales in the first half of 45 minutes was phenomenal, but you didn't have a nine. Okay. You didn't have no striker really developed until the Iran game and Sargent wasn't a a goal scorer, but he was a facilitator. He's a big reason why we had opportunities and we had possession in the attacking half. So I, I'm the first person to stand up and give Josh Sargent a, a round of applause for his performance yep. in that game because that is the type of all-around involvement we need from a nine without the goal scoring. Basically, he did everything else except the goal scoring. And then when you don't have him, to put Jesus Ferreira there makes absolutely no sense because he's not a striker. His form dipped considerably towards the end of the season, so you throw that into to the to the picture. And then if, if you're going to play with John nine, then might as well play Gio Reyna there or Christian Pulisic there or somebody else yeah. who can give you a little bit more than what we saw in that first 45 minutes. And, yes, we had a, an, an amazing opportunity in, the, in the, the second minute of the game with Christian Pulisic. Yeah. But 
you, you weren't able to build off of that because you didn't have a, a player who could could be a threat. He yeah. was literally a fill-in. That's not what you need in a World Cup. So you look at the depth and the options. We didn't have – after Gio Reyna and Brandon Aronson, there was no goal-scoring threat. And, th- and then well, you- would, would you have Charlie, would you have done this then if you had an opportunity to bring Pepe and Pifok? Would that have changed whether or not you uh, have a nine? Yes, because when you look at the bench, you're like uh, – and, and after Aronson and Reyna went in and we were, we were, we were down to one, I was like, okay, who, who else can we bring in to, to, to add some, some attacking energy? Shaq Moore? Yeah. No. Roald Don? Yeah. No. Aaron Long? No. Luca De La Torre? No. Kellen Acosta? No. Joe Scali? No. So we brought a, an extra right back, which was not needed. An extra right back. That, and that's why I get so frustrated when I look at the, what we the, the roster, the 26 men. How does a player like Jordan Peefock not make this roster? Playing every week in the Bundesliga as a big striker. We could have used that. Talk about a presence. Now you have a, a nine with a presence who you could throw up there and, and you're launching balls in. And that's where he thrives when he has a partner, whether it was Haji Wright, whether it was Christian Pulsic, what, whoever you could put next to him. You did it make you mad? And Ricardo Pepe, that one makes me mad as yeah. well. Yeah. And, and, and did it make you mad when Greg said, we don't have a Depay who's scoring in the Champions League? Yes. Did that, I mean, did that trigger Depay you in the not, sense of knowing that yeah, well, you, we've, got, we've got other players or we have another way of playing that he refused to play because we didn't bring a PFOC, we didn't bring a Pepe. We could have played uh, with 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 uh, a up there. I mean, did that did that well, that, that one, seems like that one bothered me a lot because it was just like, well, then if you knew that, then what well, do you want then? Well, Change it. Well, this is my thing. Depay is not Mbappe. Depay is yeah. not Lionel Messi or Chris he got Ronaldo. a cutback with a free but, shot, fourteen well, yards out. I, I would have said, then what is Harry Kane? Then what is yeah. Bakayo Saka and, and Phil Foden, Marcus Rashford? What are they? If they're, they're another level ahead of Memphis Depay. What are we talking about Memphis Depay for? That that wasn't what beat what beat us. What beat us was our lack of creativity in the attacking third. That's what beat us. We we were so predictable and one-sided that Louis Van Hal said, All right, I'm gonna force you to play differently. And so, let's see how you guys can come up with with, with opportunities outside yeah. of how you have up until this point. And we couldn't do it. And Memphis Depay has nothing to do with, with our, our class. We we beat Spain in Confederations Cup. We've competed. This team's competed against England, was a better uh, team over 90 minutes. And England is a favorite. We've seen how they've demolished uh, to get to get into the quarterfinals. They demolished Senegal. And Senegal is a yeah. tough team. I don't want to hear anything about Memphis Depay. It's about us. It's about I, literally our quality. Well, let's go through the back lines. I mean, let's go through each line. We won't go through individually because I think that's going to, one, take too long, and it's a little bit unfair circumstantially. But let me answer let's, – let's answer this question real quick of being – to be out, outplayed as a team is, is one thing, um, but to be outcoached is unacceptable was a comment we just had on here. Do you think – do you agree with that? Because there were times that I played in games and I was like, yeah, you know, coach definitely got it wrong today, you know, like yeah. – because I was out there running around. But at the same time, and I tweeted this after the game, that I wish I wish me as a player would have gotten all of the um, um, excuses that I'm seeing right now for the attacks on Greg Berhalter, that it's just like it's all his fault. Because you know also when you're on the field and you've got leaders and you've got captains and you've got just the fluidity of the game, mm-hmm. you can also be accountable and responsible for the things in which you do. Now – when your press is off and all those things, that's where it can really fall apart, right? Because one guy goes, and now you're breaking lines, and now everybody's like, man, what's going on? And now we find ourselves 
down a couple goals. But the timing of it was, had Christian Pulisic been clinical, that could be different. And I know it's like, oh, yeah, but, you know, it's a big chance. It's a massive chance yes. against Agreed. a team in the knockout rounds. He rushed it. That, mm -hmm. What's that? He and he rushed, rushed it, it, right? Yeah. And the Netherlands, or when you talk about Depay in the Champions League, those players will punish you. And I do know that we don't have somebody that is going to punish you yet, right? We, I think we have some budding stars, but we don't have anybody that's like, hey, you give the one U.S. a half chance, goal. they're going to bury you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I, so I agree with it on, on, on that context. But then when I think about the cutback that was one, but it's the timing, the amount of goals that I've seen just up to half, including – including um, Croatia's goal against Japan that just deflates you. Now Croatia goes into half, take a break. They come out in the second half flying in a different way. They get you to penalties, and now they knock you out. The timing of that goal it was just killer to me. The timing of, of, of the, the, the Wales goal, just absolutely killer to me. Do you think that's a coaching thing, or do you think that's a player thing um, when it comes down to moments like that? And do you think, um, back to that comment, that, that, that it's unacceptable to be outcoached? Once the team is on the field – the responsibility lies with the players on the pitch. I mean, occasionally, how, how many times have you seen a coach literally pull a player over and say, hey, run this to the captain, tell him this is what we're doing, we're changing yeah. something in the first half? It, that's rare. Maybe you, you – and throughout the course of the game, especially if you're playing in a, in a loud environment, you're not going to be able to hear the coach anyways. And players don't even want to hear the coach to begin with. To begin with. So I, I look at just playing – the, the decision to play Jesus Ferreira and the decision to play Walker Zimmerman, even though it's not that Walker Zimmerman did anything that was a glaring mistake, but I just feel that in that game, when the center backs were, and they obviously didn't know, we're going to be tasked with bringing the ball forward and making the game and trying to play through the lines because the Netherlands forwards closed out the outside backs and said, okay, come on, come on up center backs. Let's see what yeah. you got. And we're going to try and lock down the midfield we, we didn't have many ideas that the movement wasn't there. And then you look at Jesus Ferrer the nine, that choice. I feel like you – that we kept pushing. Tim Weah, play him there, play him there. That, this is a game where you should have done that and played Gio Reyna or Aronson on the right side and see what that brought. I think that energy got fresh legs. You got uh, both of them playing with a chip on the shoulder. They want to play, they want to play more. So – I just think that would have raised the level a little bit. Weston McKinney was very tired. You could see that. You know, is that an opportunity to make a switch there and, and possibly? That's why when you talk about Walker Zimmerman, I'm mm -hmm. like, yeah, but that MMA uh, through the midfield, if you have, if they're sitting back, split your center backs, drop your six underneath, and now you create this 3v2 in that situation, right? Because mm -hmm. it's all about just creating that one numerical advantage. And then the next two come in and create those triangulations to be able to solve problems. Now I'm doing, I'm saying this in real time as if it's that easy where it's just like, Oh yeah, just drop in. And then you broke the pressure. Like they, not only did they have a game plan that we weren't ready for, but they executed it consistently over and over mm -hmm. again. And, and the sharpness of the movement and passing and timing that we had seen from our guys that we had been, been, been hailing and uh, through our midfield, through the right side was just off. And it was, and it required us to have six, seven, eight passes under pressure to break pressure. And we just didn't have that confidence or that belief or that consistency to be able to do that. And for me, that was just a really disappointing part. It still came down to moments though. It still came down to not tracking runners uh, uh, on a track back from Tyler Adams. It still came down to the second time, knowing that's how they scored the first goal of saying, well, we should probably block the cutback. It gets cut to the top of the box and they score those things. And so it is moments while we were outplayed, we were still in it at one zero. We still had a chance at one zero, but two zero, Right before half and the timing of that, it was just like 
too many boxes were being checked for us to ever come back from, including the fatigue factor of us not rotating the squad throughout the tournament. So overall, um, are, are, is your reflection of this team different in terms of, I know it all came down to, to this game, right? Walker Zimmerman mm -hmm. makes a fatal error in the first game, messes it up. I'm like, these guys might be out because of this, because mm -hmm. that's what happens in World Cups. You make the mm -hmm. mistake, you might not come back. That team dug deep and got him out of that hole, got into the knockout rounds. Now all is equal, but you're dealing with fatigue because Greg went to the guys that he trusted most and, and, and worked out, you know, worked up a lot of minutes on those legs. And you're dealing with all those guys to consistently have that same level of, uh, of play, which we didn't see in qualifying. We didn't see that. And it's a different, it's a different, qualifying is a different world, but we have not seen this team string out multiple performances where we go, okay, this is the new standard. We've seen them have high highs, lows. We've had them seen like that inconsistency that most national teams have because they're barely they're, they're rarely playing together. So do you feel differently now, giving yourself a few days? Um, and by the way, the, the second question on that, do you think we're at risk of looking at Japan and going, man, look at Japan. They fight the passion, the fight, the discipline, the, all these things that make them so good. Let's play like them. And then you look at Spain, you go, oh, ticky-tocky, let's, let's do what they do because that's working. Like everybody's finding something that works for them, and I feel like we're close to something but still don't have that this is who the U.S. is. This is how the U.S. plays. This is what makes them good. These are the things mm -hmm. that make them effective. I feel like we're still kind of cherry-picking a lot of things and trying to blend that into an identity. Well, I can tell you one thing. We have what it takes to be the most athletic team and defend and run and outwork teams. We have that. Other, other countries don't have what we have in terms of athleticism. They dream of having a pool that we have. And then I think we got to, we've gotten to a point where we can play tiki-taka. So I think it's a combination. You don't rely on one or the other. I think it depends on, on the, the flow of the game, too. If you're playing against Brazil, you're never going to out-tiki-taka Brazil. That's just not going to happen. You're playing against Sweden or Finland or Norway, you're, you have the ability to out-tiki-taka them. So it, it, just like every game. You, you, you look at who you're playing, you, you come to a game plan, a tactical game plan, whether you're going to outplay them. And, and there's also times within the game that the, the, the momentum changes and maybe Brazil has to sit back and you can connect passes and build and make them chase. So I think for, for, for me, this group, after watching them play four games, I feel that there are so many pieces that we have, so many pieces to make us a legit contender in 2026. And I look at Yunus Musa, I look at Tyler Adams in particular. There, there's a lot of hope and upside with a Gio Reyna, and you hope that everything clicks for him in terms of uh, health, but also his, his attitude and, and making sure it's a much more positive one, not one that you, you see him taking away from the group and throwing the hands up and all that. Mm -hmm. So, I look at Anthony Robinson as a left back and you have Inter Milan interested in him. Serginho Dest on the right. I think he had a phenomenal tournament, uh, the best we've seen him play on both sides of the ball. So he was constantly active, good runs. So Matt Turner in goal, he'll be 32 for the next World Cup. There are so many positives. We're still lacking a nine. No one has come up and said, I'm the nine that you can rely on. I'm going to score goals. I'm going to, I'm going to, I can play the tiki taka. I can play the, keep the ball. And I can also play the work rate and, and, and defend for the team and set the press. 
we have some guys who Josh Sargent has shown some potential. Uh, Ricardo Pepe has shown some potential, but that's still a, a big glaring miss for us right now. And and I think you look at the games, you're like, man, if we had a nine, if we had a, a proper nine, someone on the level of, of Tyler Adams, Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, Weston McKinney, Yunus Musa, a nine like that, a dynamic nine who you could rely on, we beat the Netherlands. Yeah. Regardless well, I mean, of how their, their tactics were, because even – uh, Louis Van Hal said, "I we played like crap in that first half. We got lucky on the break twice, but we played like crap. On a good team, you're, you're, you're coming out of that half, even if they've scored two, maybe it's 3-2, right? It's one of those things where we, we outplayed them in that first half. We were naive because we didn't think to work against the counter and make sure to neutralize the transition game. But ultimately, if we had a nine – I think we beat the Netherlands. I, I I don't disagree with you either. And and again, like you said, it's not like Depay is 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 a big start. Cody Gakpo is a, is a, is a massive start. Everybody wants him now, mm-hmm. right? And and he's shown that he's had that breakout this season, and he's had this breakout now in the World Cup, and 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 that's a huge huge deal. But Memphis Depay hasn't had doesn't have like a club record that's outrageous in terms of being a top top player scoring at the biggest clubs in the world. He he was on that trajectory, but never really lived up to that. And when I think about our striker, we do need somebody that's even at that level that is that is in and out of, of, of the biggest clubs and playing well and scoring goals and capable of scoring goals. Uh, if you're going to put them in good positions, they can score. And I think we are missing that uh, as, as a major piece. Obviously, that's a huge piece. I, I think we're going to have to see out our, our center backs as well because we've got mm-hmm. Chris Richards in the pipeline. We've got um, Cameron Carter-Vickers is still young, young enough. We've got uh, Mark McKenzie still young enough. You've got uh, Austin Trusty. Yeah, you, you've got Richards. You've got um, uh, Eric Palmer Brown, Miles Robinson, um, Eric Palmer Brown. I still yeah, love Robin, Robinson as well. There's there's those players, but we're gonna need more. Right. Yeah, I mean, and, I, and, I'm hyped about a Taylor Booth. Watching watching him play right now in in Holland, winning Player of the Month. In that league, he just looks dynamic. I'm excited about what he, how he can grow, and and see how he can incorporate into this uh, this midfield group. Just a dynamic look because you know MMA, we love their work rate, how much ground they can cover, how they can just dominate a, a game in terms of of winning tackles and and getting it forward. But in terms of creativity and dribbling and having different, you know, Tyler Adams win the ball, simple, get off his foot, good. Yunus Musa, good in dribbling. I think if he had another partner, if Weston McKinney wasn't, you know, always pushing it to be at his best, to have another look at someone who could be a little bit more of a connector between the nine and, and the midfield, someone who could, you know, really push forward. Uh, I, I hope we see more players like that develop. Yeah. And by the way, uh, that test is going to happen over the next few years, right? When we look at last year, last year when we set the record, um, for players playing in the Champions League, that was a huge deal for us. And we can talk about that now and that they're young and blah, blah, blah. But that's the new normal. Let's not forget that when, when Clint Dempsey went to, went to Spurs or, or Michael Bradley went to Roma, these were guys at the peak of their careers, and they were, they were, they were fighting for just any, any field time you mm-hmm. know, to get there. Now we've got guys 19, 18, 20, 21 that are at Champions League clubs. And by the way... Support the show 
by making sure you have that subscription to Paramount Plus if you don't already. I got a subscription. It's where all the players are playing from the U.S. men's national team as well as beyond. You can hit that little uh, QR code up in the corner of this show if you're watching this visually um, to get the P-plus offer. Um, that is all year, uh, and that gets you a 50%, 50% discount um, off of a year-long subscription uh, for Paramount Plus. So make sure you do that and uh, get a chance oh. to support these guys because we got a long ways to go. Uh, and we need these players playing in big clubs, pushing themselves. Clubs. Uh, I'll, um, I'll tell you this. Yeah. There's, there's a YouTube comment from Ilias McAlalot. McAlalot. I think I got it right. Uh, he says, Charlie, why not a 4-4-2 diamond with Adams at the anchor as a six and then Musa McKinney as a uh, uh, diamond uh, midfield, but they're tucked in similar to how the Philadelphia union played for a while with Gio as the 10. And then you, that would force Christian Pulisic to be a with uh, a striker in the four, four, two system playing with somebody, whether that's Josh Sargent, people, Pepe, whoever it is at the, at the moment. I love that idea. I, I love that idea because you get your width from your outside backs. Maybe it's Tim way in Pulisic, who, whoever that is, but yeah, I, I would love to see that. I'm not married to this system either. I mean, that I think that's where you can get creative too to change the formation and see how these players respond. You ha- you have a, a number of talented players, so so make some tweaks. Now is the time. You have four years to to figure it out. Four four two diamond, uh, a three five two. You know, you you have an opportunity to really try and figure out the way to get your most talented players on the pitch. I'm well, listen, Charlie, we're going to take our first and only break of the show. When we come back, we actually have some really good questions about which guys impressed to go to bigger clubs in this tournament, which I think is a really important thing because who impressed and what clubs are interested in them might not align with where the U.S. sort of crapped out in the tournament. So we're going to discuss that and so much more right after this break. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Yes, the soccer world's eyes are focused on Qatar for the biggest event on the global stage. Stay up to date with every story and every heart-pounding moment with the Golasso Starting 11 newsletter from CBS Sports. It's your ultimate guide to the beautiful game, taking you beyond the pitch and around the globe with expert analysis of everything you need to know in the world of soccer. So sign up today for free at cbssports.com slash G-O-L-A-Z-O. It's the Golasso Starting 11 newsletter, and you can find it there and stay up to date on everything. Charlie, 
We are back onto the show again. Now, uh, I know we want to talk about CONCACAF in general because I think it's really important uh, for us to cover the entire region because guess what? The World Cup is in our region and it's not just the U.S. It's Canada and Mexico as well. And there's going to be more teams than ever before. So we're going to have to get real comfortable with having more than four teams in a World Cup as well as other teams that are going to be coming through and where they're at on their trajectory of development. But before we get into those uh, CONCACAF stories and sort of looking back on uh, managerial changes, player changes, and where those teams are at. Looking at this this tournament, um, a lot of our players are being linked to bigger clubs. Mm-hmm. And I know everyone wants to be like, well, how, how can we be linked to bigger clubs? They lost in the round of 16. Those guys suck, you know, or those guys are inconsistent. These guys proved against certain teams and certain players, Just the, specifically England, England in particular. Mm-hmm. specifically England, that they can compete. Now, anybody can be the best on one, one, one day. Anybody can have a great game. You can see somebody have their, their shining moment uh, on the world's biggest stage in a World Cup. If you can play at, at most levels of the professional game, you could probably have a good game in a World Cup. One or a half. That gets people interested in you. But to compete like that against some of the world's best players, most highly paid players, you know, the England national team is not what England was uh, some time ago. These are players that play in their clubs. They're the biggest clubs in the world. And, and they're massive stars. And so who do you think within this team's stock is increasing to go to a bigger club? Now, separate that from club form because I want us to talk just about this World Cup because if you're, if you're a technical director, you're watching them at the club level going, oh, you know, they're young, there's some potential there. I want to see them on a bigger stage. And then you see them against England. Uh, who to you is stock has increased and made them ready or more capable of going to a bigger club in the near future? Man, I think Most? Christian, I'll say Christian Pulisic, Christian Pulisic, yeah. his stock went up and, you know, for, for Chelsea, they've always looked at him as kind of a luxury, somebody who is in the rotation, not somebody who they're going to start and play and build and be the guy. So I think stock way up. I think Timothy way stock way up. I think Yunus Musa stock way up. And, and those three in particular, I think Tyler Adams, yes, he, he went to, to Leeds United, he's proving himself. He's playing every game. Remember, remember when there was all these questions about his health? It, it, not, not anymore. How many, how much ground he covered? The tackles, how important he was. I mean, I think it's who was that? Who's that? You said, just mentioned Tyler Adams. Yeah, uh, just a, a, a gamer and and just a, an incredible captain. So we don't have to worry about a captain or a leader uh, for the next four years. I think Sergio Dest stock went up. Um, mm-hmm. and I still don't think Milan's yeah. the right club for him. I think that's a tough thing for a young guy because you're making so much money that mm-hmm. you want to make as close to a lateral or vertical move as possible. And they've just got so much depth that it's going to be hurtful. But hopefully this has increased the interest in him in the op- when the window opens for him to find the right place. Because he was another one that I was just like, man, will he ever be, will he always be like the potential that we hope he can be because he's, na- he's got nasty feet or can he do it consistent? He was well, one that I was like, put, start him every game. I, I would say this though, what's what's not to say that him his move to AC Milan has helped him to be at this level? Because oh, yeah. of, I don't disagree with know, that move for I, sure. So I I just hope that he gets more playing time at Milan. And yeah. it, it, it with with that being said, but there is a lot of players that that took a positive step more than more so than a negative step into almost to a detriment because we we had to heavily rely on them. Uh, no rotation, yeah. we didn't have much depth, uh, and and I think. When you look at the, the roster, it was almost as if Greg 
was going into it with, I'm only going to use these 14 players or so. Yeah. I'm going to depend on these 14 players. And the rest is just brought in to make the, the group strong and, and fill it, fill it, avoid in, into uh, training and, and kind of being there. But there, there are some players that you knew weren't, weren't going to play. And, and those spots could have been used by somebody who could actually make an impact if you had to go to plan B, right, or plan C, which we needed to do in, in the Netherlands game. Yeah. So, so thinking about attackers, you know, Josh Sargent, did his stock increase um, oh, on, yes. on the, the club stage? Um, when I think about Timo Weah, did his stock increase? Because yes, it it's really hard to, to, to isolate these guys from their club form, right, at times because you go, well, I know Sergio is probably going to go back and not play, or I know, I know uh, Christian Pulisic, but we're talking about opportunities where clubs have now been able to say, this person's going to cost a lot of money. I haven't seen it yet because maybe the club situation isn't great, but now they've proven that they can compete. They've shown the upside that they have. And when you think about the potential of this young squad, what was it? The second youngest squad in the world cup. When you, when you talk about the potential of this group, um, it's incredible, you know, and now they've got to go for 12 months of the year uh, or 11 months of the year and prove that at the club level uh, to continue growing, because that's where the real growth is going to happen. It's just, I think this world cup has shown that this isn't just like a, a gimmick or that it's not hopeful. Like we've got some absolute ballers in this national team in a way that this national team has never had and at an age that we've never even gotten close to. Yeah, uh, I'm curious where you think our, our defensive players lie right now in terms of upside for, for the next cycle. Who, who do you see staying? Who do you see moving? And, and who impressed you um, with, with their defensive uh, performance in this World Cup? Uh, Serginho Dest was great. Um, I think Weston McKinney is going to be the player that I think he's going to be, which is, is super, super crucial to the national team, but more in the vein of, of your Jermaine Jones, Michael Bradley, consistent workhorse fighter. I don't know if he has the super, super upside. Having said that, he's a starter at Juventus, right? Like, it's a massive, massive deal. But I saw, like, star, star power. I saw star potential in him that I'm not necessarily seeing as, like, the star of our national team, right? But I think he's a, he's a Champions League player, and he's a Champions League con consistent Champions League player. But when I think about the defense, um, I don't see much upside with Walker Zimmerman. Um, you know, I could see him getting getting in at a at a lower half Premier League club um, and and using his assets physically to to do well there. But that's well, not really where my yeah, but it's not really where my interest lies. I think yeah. I think Robinson has upside. I still worry about. The things in his game that I am critical of, I think can be developed, right? Picking and choosing the moments to go forward. But his willingness to go forward, his willingness to track back, his willingness to defend hard, those are all unbelievable baselines, right? And now you can you can actually, if he can get in the right place that they're going to hone and shape him, not to say he's not doing that at Fulham because for sure he is, um, to, to, to be more clinical in his crosses, to be better in his passing, to pick and choose his moments of when to have a change of speed and when to slow the game down a little bit. Those are all things that I think are going to make him even better. Then I think about Chris Richards, and I think about Robinson, uh, the, the center backs. I think about Mark McKenzie, who's in an unbelievable run of form right now. We haven't seen that performance for the national team, so I still think that there's a little bit of a gap there. Uh, in the same way that I talked about Cameron Carter-Vickers or uh, Eric Palmer-Brown, where there's still that, like, almost like they want to earn their stripes and they want to prove themselves, but they haven't really figured out, like, how do I take the national team, how do I take my club form, and then do it at the national team level. And that's a big difference, right? Mm -hmm. There were lots of times that I was in the national team where I was like, 
I'm nowhere near who I am when I'm with my club. I'm nowhere near as comfortable. Maybe the game's a little too fast, or maybe I just feel a little insecure. And I think there's a, there's a gap there. Looking for the, me, playing to my yeah, strengths. The game's faster, guys. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't have the same rhythm of things, like all of that type of stuff. And and it does have a little bit of that dog eat dog at times um, when you're in the national team, even though it, it is that brotherhood on the men's side for sure. But when I think about those guys, there's a lot of upside left in them. And then and then Austin Trusty, who, who who's proven to be taking pretty big leaps and bounds in terms of his development. Mm-hmm. I think there is a new belief if you're a player that's 17, 18 right now, that you can get into the national team at 19 after being a pro for one year or 20 after two, two years of being a pro or that you can have a Brennan Aronson trajectory if you're, if you're a defender. And so I, I'm, I'm looking to the future of our national teams, the 17s, the, the 18s, the 20s, uh, to see who's going to be the next player. And I think we should have an episode soon on, 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 on who is coming through the pipeline your, your Kevin Paredes, your, your other players that are going, going to bolster up um, and really make us a more dynamic um, type of type of national team. Um, and and again, be be have, having bigger players playing at bigger clubs. I mean, what's your thought on the defense as well? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think Serginho Dust and Nancy Robinson will be be there for, for the next cycle. Um, Chris Richards, I think, will be there for the next cycle as long as he can get healthy um, and, and find playing time. I think this year was all, always about growth and, and adapting. And then you, you hope that under Patrick Vieira, he, he finds, you know, time and, and is able to play. Uh, Austin Trusty has been awesome at Birmingham. Can he convert that into uh, a move with, with Arsenal or, you know, at least staying with Arsenal, getting playing time, being on the depth chart or getting loaned to a first team in a different league in the Bundesliga and, uh, in Belgium, in, in Denmark, somewhere where he's going to play consistently at, at, on a first team and maybe in Europe. I think that would be beneficial for him. But do you, By the uh, way, uh, this is a complete side note, but I don't want to forget. Do you think Falor and Balogun could have been the nine for us um, in this tournament? Like the nine that we, 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 we hope to have? I mean, he's scoring he's in, in the top three or four in, in the French league right now for goals. Yeah, I mean, I would have loved to see him first with the group. Yeah. So I couldn't say he would have been the answer you know he has quality, um, be- better than the, our depth pieces. That's for sure. Would he have been able to fill the void that we needed in terms of a nine who's going to be consistent and a threat and score goals? I don't know, but I, I do know what he possesses. It, it's more than what we had on our in our depth chart. So uh, I, I saw a comment from Keyshawn. What about Daryl DK? What does he have to do? He has to work on his first touch. His first touch isn't isn't international quality yet. Um, I know he, 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 I was really hyped. I watched him in college. I watched him uh, in, in MLS in his first couple of years with Orlando City. He makes that move to the championship and just scores goals for fun. But he needs uh, to work on his first touch. His first touch let him down. And you, if you saw him in the Gold Cup, his performance in the Gold Cup, it just, it wasn't at the standard you need. But that's not to say he can't get there. So as long as he can just continues to work on his first touch, I think his movement is good and his finishing has, drastically improved but that first touch is key um holding holding up the ball and when players play into your feet uh once he he does that then he he can be effective uh, with the national team i like that i like that well let's talk a little bit about Concacaf then right because uh, us were the only team in Concacaf to get out of the group stages not a great look for Concacaf, especially as we're going into hosting um this next world cup obviously tata martino out 
Costa Rica and Canada failed to advance. Costa Rica had some sniffs of it on the final day, going up 2-1, about to send Spain and Germany out of the tournament, but just not strong enough. And I would look at the ranking of this of, of Costa Rica was like an any given Sunday type of thing, right? If they were going to get out with the team that they had, the players that they had, and the levels that they were playing, it was going to have to all come together consistently. They, they were very close to that. But I wouldn't say that the quality that they have consistently in terms of potential, like they're at the end of a cycle, you know, and I think they were past the end of that cycle and hadn't been able to regenerate the new players in, 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 in that cycle. Um, but then when I look at Canada, I think they were extremely naive uh, because what I saw from them against Belgium, what I saw from them in the start against Croatia, they were running on teams the same way that we saw in CONCACAF. Like, dude, these guys can run the wings. They run at speed. They're very, very hard to stop, you know, whether it's it was uh, Ustakia or others in the midfield controlling the flow of the game, the defense that we, we again, we've criticized, not criticized, but we were always questioning because we're like, these are all just like MLS defenders. And they were rotating them every qualifier. And they were just getting shutout after shutout because they were so disciplined. Just got absolutely ran over um, in the second and third games of this tournament. Uh, and then and then, and then, then finally, for, for Mexico, what, the upside that I'd say for Mexico, and I say this for the region, not because I'm a Mexico fan, um, but we need Mexico to do well and uh, for our region, is that there are players having, they are having the same conversations about players that played in this World Cup that big clubs in Europe want now. And Mexico doesn't have big uh, players playing in big clubs in Europe right now, um, and they need that. We need those players in our region going abroad and challenging themselves outside of our domestic leagues. I think domestic leagues are super important, um, but that's sort of my take on that. Give me, give me your take of just like the, the, the three, four teams, whether it's managerial changes, if you think they should have them, the, your take on their World Cup performances and, and where you think things are going to go. Well, I think Costa Rica, just, they're, they're mostly, they're all old. They're aging out. Uh, it's a, it's a cha the changing of the guard. And, and in four years' time, they, they're going to lose Keller Navas. You know, uh, you certainly are going to lose Cecil Borges. Um, and I just feel Joel like Campbell's that, probably going to be yeah, out Joel, by then. Joel Campbell's like. thirty, so he's thirty-four. I, I just think they're going to—they're not going to be as as uh, strong as as we've seen in Kakagaf. Mexico, on the other hand, uh, they—they don't have the quality coming through like we do. They, they should be praying. Oh, we're miles we ahead with that. Yeah, yeah we're miles ahead. We don't, we're two, we three years into that development here. For, for the next four years. Uh, and then Canada, I think Canada is the one that had probably were, were humbled quite a bit in, in this tournament because they came in just like their coach, cocky as hell. Um, yeah, they're super talented and they're fearless, but they were a little cocky. They're they're on the yeah. side of of being naive and and everyone's going to have to adjust. Well, I mean, they were, they were, they were, they were that, they were loud and qualifying too when, because yeah. it, I mean, if you think about it, it's hard not to be, right? Because you've been screaming at the top of your lungs at the mountaintop trying to get people to hear you. And then finally you sweep through qualifying and people are like, yeah, exactly. We've been doing this all along. No one's been mm -hmm. paying attention. And you're like, well, not you don't even make the final round of qualifying usually. Uh, uh, but now you got this team, talented, I think by and large, because the, the MLS has, has pumped a bunch of money into it or the teams have pumped money into their academies, developing players, providing outputs. You've got the Canadian Premier League. You've just got this – this growing soccer audience, and you've mm -hmm. got the soccer culture there that's phenomenal, but I agree with you. There was there was a little piece of humble pie that came with that little thin gray area between like confident and arrogant. I think they 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 leaned a little too far into that and and you know and within one moment up. we found ourselves out on it too, <laughs> yeah. but like you get smacked. Yeah. But but I think they're gonna be better for it. So I think Canada um 
you know, like Alistair Johnson just got to move to Celtic. So, you know, you, you look at the options that they have, they're all young. It's a, it's a, it's a country that's growing um, tremendously in, in prospects. The sport is, is popular in Canada. Everyone's behind this, this world cup. It's they're, they're going to be a force. I think this world cup and getting that experience and getting uh, smacked up is, is definitely going to help them um, in 2026. So, they they are are going to be I think for us that that's one and two I honestly think it's going to be us in Canada competing to be the top uh, Concacaf team I, I think Mexico they they they're off it right now yeah they, they, well, let me ask they, you this yeah no, sorry go ahead finish your thought no go ahead I was going to say looking at this are the U S way out in front of Concacaf of everyone right because remember all the criticisms that came in. Where the U.S. finished in qualifying, we barely qualified. We didn't, we, you know, blah blah blah. Canada running away at the top. Mexico were better than us, and blah 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 blah. But again, trophies, mm-hmm. getting out of the group stages as 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 the the, the normal for the U.S. Um, do you think the U.S. is still way out in front of the other nations in terms of where things are at? Because when it com- when push comes to shove, you know, the U.S. qualified. Yeah, we didn't qualify on top like we had hoped. We got out of the group stages of, of a tough group. Yeah, not as tough as, as probably Mexico and, and, and Belgium's group. Um, but those are those are those are incremental steps. Now they're disappointing to us because we wanted to get to the to the round to the quarterfinals. But do you think all of that put together suggests that the U.S. is, is way out ahead of um, of Concacaf right now in terms of the players that we have and the fact that we're getting performances with those players? Yeah, I would say it's it's we're not definitely not way out in front. So um, I would say that we're, we're still a work in progress because we're still working on a lot of things. There, there, trust me, there's some positives. We, we've come together. We've, we've got some core uh, guys in, in this group, but we don't know what the future looks like. Who, who's going to be the coach? Is Greg staying on? Are they giving him another opportunity? Does he want to stay? Is it who? And if he, sa- if he says, I'm out, who, who's the target? Because I don't think you can necessarily just say, done and then not have a coach for a year if, if the right candidate doesn't present itself. So I think that's something U- U.S. soccer is going to have to do. Ernie Stewart in particular is saying, who who's going to take us to the next level? And who and does that? What, where is that person? Who is that person? And how do we get him to to be a, a part of this project? I think it's it's such a desirable project. I don't see how too many coaches would turn it down because mm-hmm. it's it's here. You have 48 teams. It's all this buzz. It, America has all these options and, and, and talented players and exciting players. So it, it's it's an incredible opportunity. Whoever would, would get that chance to to, to lead the way. But I, I think if you if you don't go with Greg, then I think you need to go with someone who who has had experience coaching and in into the international stage in a World Cup and is and has got a, a good sense of how to develop talent and and get this young team to play a certain way to play uh to get the most out of this talented group of players that for me is is most important well that's well said charlie and and, um, and that's my final thought I, I like that i'm gonna i'm gonna get, i'm gonna count that as your final thought but 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 what i want everybody to do that's still watching and or listening to this show um 
Let us know what you want these episodes to be about. Now that we got a little time to dissect, do you want us to go player by player or line by line entire episodes? We can do a whole episode on Greg Berhalter if you want. Those are the types of things that we're going to now have the ability to do with the unfortunate fact that we're out of the tournament. And we got a long ways to go. We want to keep this show going. So, of course, let us know in the comments um, on the show or, or leave us a rating and review and just let us know something you want to hear. Ask questions and we'll make sure we get to those. Um, and by the way, if you're listening to this on CBSSports.com, we want to let you know that you can subscribe to our YouTube channel or our podcast by simply searching In Soccer We Trust. We are available on all podcast platforms and we'll deliver world-class soccer coverage during this World Cup and beyond. So go find us if you like what you are hearing. So, of course, on behalf of myself, Charlie Chuck Wagon Davies, our production team, CBS Sports, and everybody at home or wherever you are that are listening and are watching, we appreciate all of you and we will see you guys next show.